Hey everyone, this is James Mackey and welcome to the Breakthrough Hiring Show. Join us as we cover high-level thought leadership and step-by-step guides on how to make people a competitive advantage for your organization. I'm incredibly proud to be the CEO of Secure Vision, the sponsor of this show and the number one contract recruiting, embedded recruiting, and RPO firm. A thank you to our partners, Greenhouse, the hiring operating system for people-first companies, and Gem, the all-in-one hiring solution recruiters love. Let's go! Hello, welcome to Talent Acquisition Trends and Strategy. I am your host, James Mackey, and we have a really exciting episode for you today. We are joined by Makua Smith. Makua, welcome back. How are you doing? Dave, it's great to be back for round two. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Your first episode has the most, uh, most downloads out of any of the episodes that we've done on the show uh, for the past year. So if you're tuning in, after this show, make sure to listen to the first episode where she drops a ton of knowledge and basically gives us a master class. So make sure to check that out. Anyways, for those tuning in, thank you so much for your ongoing support. We're currently the number one town acquisition podcast uh, out there. And if you have any ideas on what you'd like us to discuss, feel free to reach out to talenttrends.io and shoot us an email, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn and send me a note. And lastly, if you know anybody that would be a good fit for the show, uh, please let us know. Um, we are interviewing VPs of talent acquisition, chief people officers, and CEOs of relevant uh, talent solutions. So anyways, very excited for today. We're going to be talking about the impact of the way you hire and uh, the impact of onboarding people, retention, sales, and profit, tying it back to financials. So really excited about this. Before we we jump into the topics, could you provide a brief introduction on yourself and what you do? Sure. So um, my name is Mikua and I'm from the Unforgettable Agency. We help founders and their teams to re- uh, with recruitment and engagement, basically so that they can help, uh, so they get the teams around them to help them turn their visions into realities. So we do some recruitment work for our clients. We also do a lot of education um, because we believe that our, our clients really need to have a completely different mindset around this stuff so that they and their teams can actually do what they do best because they're the people on the ground that get it. Um, At the moment, what we're doing is we're actually working on a cool program to help founders to bring in that right-hand person. So there's different roles in different organizations, obviously, but this is going to be a really cool program. It's going to be part coaching for the founder, part coaching for the new person, and a whole bunch of done-for-you stuff that leaves you with the toolkit you can use um, forever. So I'm very excited about all of that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to learning more about that. And what made you decide to make this your primary focus at this point in time? It's actually come about through working with different clients and over the last couple of years, looking back and seeing which were the most successful projects that we had, why they worked out well, which were the projects that we had that, whilst you could technically say they were successful, they weren't as successful, um, and where we felt like we had created the most value for clients. And what we found was is that, Founders predominantly um, struggle with passing the baton. So when it's time for them to step out of the role of doing everything themselves um, and actually bring somebody else on in a key role, it can be a really difficult process for them, not only like emotionally, but also just logistically, because they don't actually know, because they've never done it before. They don't actually know how to do it. They don't know how to figure out what the role is going to look like. They don't know how to scope it. They don't know what it's going to be called. They don't even really know what they're looking for. They're all in their own head. I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, oh, sorry, heard the saying, um, you can't see the label from inside the jar. I actually haven't. 
Yeah. So um, you can't. But that's think, a good one. I get it. Yeah, you can't think <laughs> labels inside the jar. So, like, if you're a founder, right? Like, you've lived, eaten, slept, breathed your company. You know everything. You know everything about yourself. You know everything about what you do. You actually can't see objectively from the outside what this role needs to look like and who needs to step into it. So what tends to happen, what we've found is, is that a founder will get an idea that this is time for them to get this right-hand person in. Could be a general manager, operations manager, practice manager, something like that. Could be a VP of sorts. Um, And they'll have this idea in their head for somewhere between six and 18 months before they'll actually act on it because there's so many things going on there in terms of like how to figure it out. And then often what will happen is they'll shoulder tap someone in their network but they'll have a poorly scoped role and they'll bring that person in and it won't work out and then they'll really lose trust or they'll feel like they don't know what to do so they'll just hold on to it and they really hold their companies back. Um, And sometimes they'll just go to a recruiter and not necessarily a good one Um, and then, again, they may get the role scope wrong or they'll bring someone else on with not a clear understanding of where the business is at or what's going on. So we've been able to identify that there's quite a few key things that are different um, with this particular dynamic when it comes to recruitment and onboarding, not only for the client, but also for the successful candidate coming in. Um, So we're building this program to help um, these founders with this process. And the objective will be to get everybody that works on the team to love working there, to create leverage through key hiring decisions and actually through every hiring decision, which will then allow that founder to lead their business, like properly step up and lead the business. Um, um, so yeah, it's really just come from seeing what's not working and, and what is working and then go from there. So one of the things you mentioned was related to leadership hiring. So when founder CEOs are building out their executive team, senior leadership team, like let's just focus at the VP level and yeah. up and yeah. you're right. Initially tapping into, to network, there are a lot of experienced, uh, venture capitalists and leaders that believe in that like 110% that you always go with the known quantity. And to some extent, I feel like founders will lean toward that strategy so much that they'd rather get a B player in some cases that they're aware of than get the absolute all-star that might knock it out of the park, but might not because they don't have a way of verifying performance. Yeah. So I'm curious to get your thoughts there because I like, I think that, at a key leadership hires, I think that if I could find a known quantity, I'm probably going to go with it unless I am very confident in somebody's background and skill set that it just, they check like all the boxes and I could see like a very consistent track record of success with pretty much no blemishes, which is like pretty much impossible, almost <laughs> impossible to find. But like, I, I yeah. don't like, so curious to get your thoughts. And then like the last yeah. correlation, the last thing I'll mention is like, and I know we actually, like you had commented on this, but I, I recently did a poll on LinkedIn where I yeah. asked people in the tech industry, how did you find your current role? And a, a huge amount, 79% out of like 150 people said yeah. that they found their current role through their network and yeah. not, you know, not through recorder, uh, recruiters, not through job posting. So I thought yeah. that that was really interesting. So anyways, curious to get Is your thoughts it? on all this. So there are lots of caveats, right? And and there's no black and white answer to this. But my biggest caution is, of course, we all want that known quantity, right? But if we don't have a method, if we don't have a way of objectively evaluating people that come to us through our networks, then we're doing ourselves and we're doing them a disservice. 
because we will have all sorts of things going on in our brains that will make us want to pick the known quantity versus perhaps somebody that comes to us through a recruiter or through another campaign. Um, and we're not if we're not evaluating everybody equally, and importantly, if we're not clear on what we're actually looking for, then of course we're going to make decisions based on all sorts of different factors. And within the context of what we're talking about, one of the key critical things for founders particularly is we've got to flip the script when it comes to what you're looking for when you hire. Most people are looking for, as you said, track record, skill and experience. That's the first thing that they want to look for. Now, I'm not saying don't look at that at all, but I am saying that is not the first thing that you want to look for. You have got to be looking for vision fit. And when I say that, I mean alignment with the journey that you are taking your business on. Um, and the best analogy for this is if, if, say, you've got a bus and it's going to New York, right, and you've got another bus and it's going to San Francisco, like, and somebody wants to go to New York, then this is the bus for them. Somebody wants to go to San Francisco, this is not the bus for them. So we we forget about that vision fit. And that is in terms of like not only where is the business itself going in terms of like trajectory, like are you on a mad growth phase? Are you consolidating? Are you going to get set up to sell? Like what is it exactly that you're trying to do, say, in the next five years? But also what the hell is it that you exist to do? Like what market are you serving? What need are you solving? What problem are you fixing? And this, again, it's not, this is not a humanitarian aid issue. It's not solving the world. It's like, I need to believe that the problem that you're solving is worth solving and that I want to be a part of helping that business do that thing. You know, if you're going to bring me on as a VP, say, and you want to shape the business up to exit, then if, if that's what I'm looking for, if I know that I can help you shape that up to exit, if, if I'm happy to do that for five years and then leave or whatever the, the time frame is, that's a great fit for me. But if you just try and bring me on because I've succeeded in other places um, and you don't really have that clarity that your vision and my vision are aligned, that's not something you can fix later. That's something that's going to be a disaster. If you're not hiring for that clarity of like principles being aligned first, then it's always going to be a difficult thing. And, and we've all heard the stories about somebody who was a star somewhere else and then comes in and is a complete and utter disaster in a different company. Because something that we forget, and there was a book written on it years ago, um, just having a look at my bookshelf up here, it's called Chasing Stars actually, uh, where, where they, they attack the myth of talent portability. Um, because where, let's say, for example, somebody has been an absolute legend, in another company, we forget that that person is not the legend. It's the combination of that business's infrastructure, the team around that person, that business's product, where that market was at the time where that person was, you know, what are the broader economic conditions? All of those things come together to create success. But we mistakenly identify these individuals who are then, you know, the saviors of the business or potentially our saviors. And we go, oh, we've got to get that guy. Oh, he was there. He was there. Look at that. But we completely forget. We have this massive halo effect that goes around these people. And we completely forget those other factors that were fundamental 
I think absolutely leverage your network. Um, but what we teach our clients and what we work on with our clients is to, to get a really clear um, scope for the role, like as in what are the outcomes you're looking for, what are the things that you feel like the person is really going to need to have in terms of traits, behaviours, maybe desk profiling, depending on what you do in your organisation, how does this person show up to be successful in the business with the rest of the team? And then we work with our clients on creating various different pieces of collateral to capture and communicate where is the business at in terms of the vision, what are the key challenges, what is the culture like, um, you know, all those sorts of things that are very difficult to quantify. And the reason we do that is because we don't want to be having 50,000 different conversations. We don't want the founder drawn in to hours-long conversations with each person over and over and over again at a top level. Number one, they're not going to be the same conversation. And number two, it's a giant waste of time. So we, because our perspective is that jobs are products, Candidates are customers and recruitment is sales and marketing. That's our top-level perspective in our agency. We approach candidates as customers, as clients. So just think about your sales process in your business. You don't want to have anyone in your sales team, let alone anyone senior, sitting on the phone with customers having a super long conversation about the whole product and all the features and benefits uniquely every time. That's why you created your sales collateral. Because by the time they've worked through that, it's clear that they want what you have. They, they understand the key things. They've been qualified to a certain extent. They want it. Now you can have the conversation. So we do the exact same thing with recruitment. And, and where it becomes dangerous when it's the network thing is that none of that tends to happen. People don't put any collateral in place. They don't put any criteria in place. They don't have any filters in place. So one of the other things we do with our clients is we help them create a custom um, very basic but, but you know, very practical and useful culture assessment where they actually rank all sorts of different values um, and then we come up with a template that we get candidates to rank their core values and then we kind of see how aligned is that. We can also do stuff around the job in terms of job fit motivation where we can also see, like, how aligned is this person's natural preference for working with what we're actually looking for. Um, and a bunch of other things that means you might have five people come to you from your network. You can put them all into this process and then see how they they objectively rank against one another. Sure. Before you get those other things. Sure. So so there's a few follow-up points that I want to dive in there uh, sure. with you. So um, I definitely uh, agree that I, I think a lot of the times maybe there isn't a, enough emphasis on slowing down on what other whatever north star goals the company has or like yeah. the strategy on on how they're going to get there right and i think also sometimes founders have trouble letting go of their idea of how something should work uh mm-hmm. and, and they have a hard time trusting which i i can understand right at the end of the day they're on the hot seat to the investors typically so i can understand that but that could be challenging i think you know one thing that when it comes to halo effect I think that to some extent that's true. And I think that that criteria has to be factored in, in terms of, you know, how, how good of a position was the product in and the support system that was put in place. Let's take for Right. Yeah. And let's say though, uh, yeah, you're right. Like, is it really apples to apples? And, and the reality is that most things aren't hundred percent apples to apples and you're trying to figure out, uh, how, how similar the environments are. I would say though, if you take, for instance, like an executive that comes from, 
yeah, like Netflix, right? Or uh, maybe you think earlier stage and they're going through scale or like an Airbnb or a LinkedIn uh, or one of the, one of these companies that we we know very well. And you look at one of their initial VPs and there is very clearly a unique value proposition and a unique technology advantage that these companies have, a unique yeah. amount of funding that enables them to be successful at scale. I still think that there is value in somebody coming up in that environment and seeing what scale looks like and how to build out the organization. Now, there might be circumstances where there could be like waste, right? Where they're just throwing money at everything. Uh, But I still think like when you're, when you have the experience of being on a successful team, that is worth something. And I think that that is ultimately to still extent still translatable. So I'm curious if you kind of thought through that. I mean, and how much would you factor that into your decision about whether or not somebody, you know, again, like, yes, they had a lot of support, but then also they're on a winning team. They won a Super Bowl, essentially, right? So how much do you value that? Well, I think it's it's not how much do you value it. It's how relevant is it to where you are right now and what you're looking for? Because the other thing that can happen, and it, I've seen it happen a lot, is where people come from a bigger business. Um, into a smaller business and they cannot function. Well, what I'm talking about is like earlier stage. So like if you're hiring like an early stage company and that this other executive came up through that for like a very, a company with a ton of funding and resources, like how much, how much do we put that? Like, again, it's like if, if a player has an experience on uh, a championship team, of course, team effort, and it depends on the resources, how much do we we value the fact that they won a championship in a relevant environment, regardless of the access to resources that this company may not have quite as much access to? Yeah, I, I would say it'd have to be role specific. I'd have to look very closely at what was the position that we were looking to hire for, where is this person coming from, and where could I look back and see what they've done that is what is similar to what we're looking for them to do and you know can they come in and help us go on that journey perhaps because they've been on it before um and again now this is where it comes back to what does this person actually want because oftentimes in our excitement and enthusiasm to get somebody on board we overpromise what we can deliver or we try super hard to create something that this person wants that isn't actually in line with what everyone else is getting or what we can really deliver. So I caution again, just I just caution people to just think, okay, we, what we're looking for here really is a match. This person, if this person, say, for example, and recently this has happened, I have had some interesting conversations with candidates who are looking to step down, not step down in terms of that they're, they're done, but they've worked in the, in the big jobs, they've done all these big things, and now they want to kind of come back into a smaller operation and help that operation to scale up, right? That's a very clear alignment then. This person is prepared to take a salary cut. They're prepared to take a status cut. They want the hands-on experience of coming in and being able to use, as you said, that, that experience to come and help this smaller team become a championship team. And then it's an amazing alignment because that's a great win-win. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's an interesting topic because it's, it's obviously it's complicated and it's hard. And that's why you have an agency such as yours to help companies navigate it because it's like, again, just balancing all these things like, okay, they have relevant experience, but maybe it's not apples to apples, but they still, you know, and you could go back and forth like a hundred times on how relevant the, the experience is. And, 
And then it's like, well, how much, you know, again, just aligning on the vision. I think that that's a big part of it. I mean, you know, one of our most successful executives at Secure Vision has moved up uh, within the the company significantly. I mean, two. And so it's not like they had experience like scaling big companies. I mean, I'm putting together a board of advisors of experienced CEOs that have scaled. So we have that too. But A lot of it is they're very competent. There's a lot of grit and determination, and they're they kind of embody the concept of lifelong learners. Like they are relentless in their pursuit of developing, uh, continuing to develop their skill set. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that that's served us very well uh, because it's not it's not easy. And I, you know, if I look at maybe a VP that's done it several times, they probably wouldn't want to join Secure Vision right now because they're not going to have that huge budget to go out and hire a bunch of folks. So, and I think that's what you're talking about too. It's like bigger teams, more resources, or even if it's not a bigger team, like let's say it's like two Series A companies, one has 20 million in funding, the other has two. Yeah. Like that, you know, VP with a 20, probably going to have different expectations. And Exactly. You know, and and this yeah. is where it becomes so interesting for me. Um, you know, we talked before the show, uh, before we started recording, you know, about some of the statistics that I mentioned that were um, discovered through some research that Gallup and a bunch of other independent consultants did. I think it was back in about 2012, um, where they did all this work around activating the seeking system, which we've talked about before, um, and particularly working on things they call strength-based interventions So when people are playing to their strengths, so, you know, this goes back to that fit and that alignment, um, which I think is is so often overlooked is, you know, people have natural strengths and places where they excel more easily. Um, And we quite often in our quest to, you know, focus on what's on the JD or focus on, you know, as you said, well, that person's worked there and that's great and we want to bring them in here. We forget that we actually need to be looking for an alignment as much as possible, between the strengths that this person has and naturally use um, and what we're actually going to allow them to do, enable them to do in this role. So if I say, for example, I'm a very strong public speaker and you bring me into a role where I'm going to be in the back office constantly, that's not to say I won't be able to do it, but if I had a role where I was allowed to do some training internally or speak to some customers or whatever, I would be using my strengths more. And what they found was when you have these interventions across the business that focus on people's strengths, so everything from, you know, the onboarding, and we actually build it into our recruitment process as well, but everything from the onboarding through the employee experience, then you get results that are absolutely insane. So one of the the surveys that they did, or not surveys, that was the research particularly that they did, um, included 1.2 million people across 45 countries in 22 organizations. Um, and I think there was something crazy like 49,500 business units involved. And they did all these strengths-based interventions with these people. Um, and obviously they had their control groups as well. And they had their starting stats. And they were measuring everything from employee engagement to attrition to customer engagement, sales and profit, um, and the, the the numbers were absolutely phenomenal. So, for example, they found a decrease in attrition of between 26 and 72% in terms of people quitting. They found an increase in sales of between 10 and 
an increase in customer, um, I think customer experience was something like three to seven percent improved, but employee engagement was seven to fifteen, and profit was fourteen to twenty nine percent improved. So yeah, that's wild. It's totally wild when you start to look at, you know, you you were just saying before, when you're bringing people in that get an opportunity to play to their strengths, like what you will get out of that person versus somebody else who may be able to do the job but is just kind of like, well, this doesn't really do it for me, is absolutely massive. But you also have to obviously manage them in an intentional way. Um, and that's that's probably the biggest thing for us is, trying to help our clients to to understand not only the bigger picture landscape that has changed so much over a particular the last few years right and that's where our jobs and products thing comes from yeah is that we also have a very different business environment now and I'm not talking about just post pandemic I'm talking about like let's say in the last 5 to 10 years where if you have a look back if you cast back when we used to have factories and we used to make widgets there are even some businesses that are still like that now. You know, there's lots of factories out there now. And I would even say McDonald's probably makes widgets in the sense that, you know, it's very formulaic business. Um, that's fine. There's always going to be those kind of businesses. And in those businesses, you really are hiring for a very different reason and for a very different outcome than you are in businesses that are, let's say, in the tech sector, in the knowledge space, in the professional services space. This intangible world where you're actually, your product is change. You are selling change. You are helping people to make change in their businesses, in their, you know, with the different software that you're enabling them to use or the different services that you are providing. And that is not a static thing. That is not a widget. So, yes, you will have systems and processes, obviously, and you'll have IP. The way that your people need to operate in those businesses is much more like volunteers than factory workers. You need people to be enrolled. And that's why we talk about the whole concept of the journey. So on the factory side, it's heads and hands. You're hiring heads and hands. On the, the change-making, map-making side, you need to have hearts and minds. You know, you need to enroll people. People need to want to give you their discretionary effort, their creativity, their innovation, their ideas, their proactivity. They need to want to spot opportunities. You can't put that on the job description, right? Over here in factory land, it's very easy to put a job description together to benchmark performance, to hire to, you know, the nth degree for particular quantifiable things to manage people within, you know, minutes and hours and and productivity and efficiency. But unfortunately, we've taken that whole mindset and we've brought it into the world of tech and knowledge work and professional services without really understanding that you have to do things differently. So you can't recruit the same way. You can't manage people the same way because you're wanting a different outcome, right? I was going to say that I think too, it's like what you're, what you're saying about being very, very clear uh, proactively in terms of getting, I like that kind of volunteer, uh, analogy. I mean, obviously people are working to get compensated, but you want people that are the, the point I know what the point you're making is that it's like, you know, you want somebody who's really enrolled and who is passionate about like investing. And that's much different yeah. than somebody who's more so just kind of putting in their time or, or sees the position as a means to an end versus an end in and of itself, like enjoying the process of building, I think that that's, that's really uh, interesting. I think that like one mistake that a lot of leaders make is 
they find a candidate, whether through uh, their network or maybe they bought, they just have really good rapport. The person is very charismatic. People are very good at backing into logic, meaning they find whatever conclusion that candidate represents. They then mm-hmm. create premises that lead to that conclusion. Yeah. And versus the way that it should be done is you start with the premises. You start with, we need X, Y, and Z. And yeah. therefore, this candidate meets that criteria. Yeah. We are very, very, people are very good at justifying uh, decisions because there's some kind of emotional attachment to it for some reason. We have a very, once that attachment is there, we have a very hard time uh, looking back and, and being objective. We find ways to connect dots. So I, I think it's it's like so important to do at the beginning of the process yeah. too, before you even take those back channel interviews, like, yeah. uh, you know, 100%. Put, put together and it doesn't even if it's not a huge robust thing like just get clear on the top top three things right like what you know be clear on the company's vision mission but then also top few skill sets things that you're going to be looking for is still yeah. probably better than what a lot of leaders do right yeah definitely for sure we'd be curious like hands on how you go about evaluating this so when you're yeah. looking at buy in from candidates so it's like we have to find somebody who's going to invest their hearts and minds right like like we have to find those folks how do you really determine if somebody is truly bought in? Because some folks just interview really well, right? Sure, yeah. And interviews have such a low correlation. I think um, thinking back to the research, I always forget who did it, but I think it's something like zero point. So it's like zero, sorry, point zero four percent is the correlation between interview performance and job performance. So it's basically zero. <laughs> so, That's nice. uh, but we still, but we still do them, and and I know that we still need them because you know. There's a lot of just the human connection piece and the conversation that needs to be had because employment is a relationship. I firmly believe that 100%. It's not a transactional arrangement as much as many people want to make it into one. You will only ever get what is on the job description out of somebody if that's the way that you approach them. And that's not really a viable option um, for most businesses. Um, It's fine if you're McDonald's, but other than that, it's not really a viable option. So the relationship establishment component is is important in terms of the interview. Um, So how do I measure it in terms of buy-in? We have our process set up so that it's like a marketing process. So we actually don't have a job ad. So we, we don't, first of all, we don't post job descriptions, never. Never, ever will I post a job description on a board, will I put it on a website, Will I send it to anybody? That is an internal document. You do not sell your software or your professional services. You do not sell it by sending the technical specifications over to somebody. Nobody is going to want to read that document. So why you do that with your jobs, I will never know. It absolutely blows my mind, completely blows my mind, particularly when we remember what we just talked about before. When you were running a factory back in the industrial era, or if you still are, it is very easy to say, we need you to work five days a week, six hours a day, make 100 widgets a day. We need you to know how to work the XYZ machine and we'll pay you 25 bucks an hour, whatever it is. Very simple value proposition. That is not what you guys are doing when you work in tech or professional services. You are not doing that. It is ludicrous and ridiculous 
to believe that you know exactly what this person that you are hiring needs to do on a daily basis. And if you even pretend that you do, I think you need to sit back and ask yourself a lot of hard questions because you just don't. First of all, they probably don't know what they're going to have to do every single day because things are changing so fast that even if they sign up for the job today and come in tomorrow, there's going to be stuff that's going to change that neither of you will have possibly have been able to be aware of. So when you're writing out these things that are like 37 bullet points on exactly what this person's going to be doing every single day, know that that's A, not attractive and not appealing and B, not it's not correct. So I always work with my clients to understand at a top level, why does this role exist in the business, right? Let's focus on that. And then let's try and craft, as we've obviously got a candidate profile then that we've built out a, after discussing, you know, what we're looking for from this person to deliver. We actually survey the team as well. So we do all sorts of stuff in advance to understand what is actually going on in the business and where people are at. Um, we've got the understanding of the vision and we can explain what the key principles are that the business stands for and where it's going. And now we actually craft an ad. So we actually write long form copy and we direct it at the person that we would like to hire. And we paint a picture of what working there is going to look like for that person, what's in it for them, what they're going to have to take on responsibility for, you know, roughly what kind of support system is in place. We don't go into super levels of detail about all that stuff, but we talk a lot about the kind of person we're looking for and why and what the business is actually up to and, and who it's important to. And, and so then, that's that's done in place of the JD. So what you're yeah. what you're posting is this overview. The job ad. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Okay. But it's designed to polarize people. So we don't un, unlike most recruitment processes, we do not want to attract everyone. We are not trying to get as many candidates to apply as possible. We are in fact trying to do the opposite. We want people to read it and go, yeah, that's just not for me. That just is not for me. I'm not going to apply. I just know that's not my that's not my place. Or that sounds exactly like what I want. Now, the kind of comments that we get from candidates when they have applied for our jobs is, oh, my God, I had to stop reading that and call my wife so that she could read it because you were literally describing me. And I wasn't even looking for a job. My wife found this job and brought it to me because she said, this is 100% you. Or, you know, vice versa, we've had females say I had to get my, my boyfriend to come and look at it. And when I was reading it, I got butterflies in my stomach. I got so excited. This is my job. This is my dream job. This is the job for me. Like those are the kinds of visceral emotional reactions that we get from people. If they don't go quite that far, um, people will say that's the best job ad I've ever read. Or if everybody wrote ads like this, nobody would ever leave their jobs. Or, you know, it's just that it's a completely different reaction from reading a job description, which has no emotional impact whatsoever. Mm. Most people, when they read job descriptions, are thinking, can I survive this? Am I going to be able to actually do this on a day-to-day -day basis and not lose my mind? <laughs> Sometimes they'll be able to, they'll be thinking, well, I've actually got quite a lot of these skills. I've done this before. This should be a pretty big no-brainer for me to get an interview for this job. You know, but they're not thinking... I really want this job. I'm so excited. I'm so like enthusiastic. I'm imagining what I could bring to the table in this in this job. 
Mm. You're not sparking their seeking system. You're not activating that part of their brain that's responsible for intrinsic motivation. You're just putting a very bland factory offer on the table. Now, that means that if you do the factory offer, if you do the JD, you are going to get a plethora of people apply and you're going to have no idea how bought in any of those people are. But the one thing that you're not going to know, and I love talking about this because people are like, oh, shit, you're not going to know who didn't apply for your job because they read the JD and it just had no soul. It did not speak to them. It was not exciting. You're not going to know. You're only going to know all the people who were like, eh, I'll chuck my hat in the ring or eh, it looks all right or I've got to pay the bloody mortgage and I've got that skill set so I'm going to put my hat in the ring. So that's the first way that we do it. And what's interesting about that too is like I think if if you're trying to get high caliber people that you don't know, there, yep. there, there's going to be nothing that like they have people like nothing. trying to get them 100%. to come to their company. They have a bunch of like people and opportunities that are coming to them. And if you think about how somebody through a relationship or a network presents a job, they're not reading the JD either. They're naturally organically doing it the way that you're saying like, Hey, this is what we're, the company's trying to do. They're trying to go from there here to here. And this is kind of the culture and this is what the founder's like. And this is why I think yep. you might like the founder. And yep. And that like, I think people in conversation do that, but then they're so stuck in patterns when it comes to JDs that you're right. Like I never thought about that, but there's a huge discrepancy between how a high level person, like a senior level person would communicate a job opportunity verbally to another executive in their network or another person, even if it's not executive, then how we're doing it in a JD. And are we really going to get the interest of like a very successful whether individual contributor or sure, uh, exactly. ex- without without actually communicating it the way somebody, that we would want to receive that information, right? Exactly. Or even somebody yeah. who may not already have lots of runs on the board, but is the kind of person who wants to contribute, you know, if it's a more junior role, you know, you, you're going to attract a whole different kind of person. So that's yeah. step one. And then step two is we don't actually let people apply for jobs. So I know this is going to blow everybody's mind. They're like, wait, what? <laughs> First, you don't want everybody to apply. And secondly, you don't even want them to apply. Like, what is this madness? So again, because we take our lead from marketing, we actually give instructions at the end of every J- every job ad that says how to apply. And it will vary depending on the seniority of the role as to what we actually ask people to do um, or what software our clients have if we're not doing it for them. So there's not like a one-size-fits-all approach. But most commonly what we will do is actually create a landing page that they will have to go to and they will have to opt in. And we will send them a pack of information that they need that we've crafted, um, you know, with copywriters and designers and with the client and there's all sorts of cool secret sauce that goes into that pack. Um, and, yeah, we, we get incredible feedback from especially the more senior candidates, most senior candidates on that pack because, again, we're treating them with respect now. We're treating them like they need to do their DD on us before we ask them to apply. Why the hell is someone going to go through the, um, you know, effort of applying and also how dare you assume that after they've read your job description that they're now like so excited about actually putting themselves forward like 
Yeah. You haven't given them enough information to make a decision as to whether or not they want to. So again, when you're just running the standard traditional recruitment process, you're getting all these people. Now you've got a shit ton of work to do because you've got all these resumes. And that's why everybody defaults to, you know, using ATS systems to screen out the keywords and whatever. I would hate to think all the talent you're losing if you're doing that because you're putting all the wrong filters in place, all the wrong top-level filters. So if you think about it from a sales and marketing perspective, imagine if your marketing funnel had all the wrong top-level filters in place and you were attracting all the wrong types of clients. Like, So all your leads are shit now. All your leads are, I mean, they're kind of interested in your product, but they probably don't have the budget. They're probably only going to make a decision next year. They probably want 14 different quotes from similar vendors. You know, they're not going to be people that you actually want in your business as clients. And it's exactly what you guys are doing when you do this whole post a JD and use bloody um, ATS um, filters. You are not actually attracting the people that you say you want to attract. And that means that when you are actually interviewing and hiring, that pool of people, it's not so good. So, again, when we go back to the whole referral and the network thing, that's probably why that is very preferred is because you're getting access to, to the people that you already know that you're like, well, I know that they've got these skills or characteristics or criteria, but you're not necessarily checking for those that alignment. You're not necessarily making sure that you've actually given a clear brief on the role and that obviously then if someone comes in and you've only told them half the story, you can't then expect them to be prepared to do everything that you want. So there's all sorts of things that happen in that mix when you don't have the filter. And again, I'm not saying don't go to your network, but right. So, so back to the the. It's just you have to you have to be aware of just the the the, the problems that can that can arise. And I, I yeah. think too, it's just like people have to have a realistic view of where their company is. Like even if they're going to a VC or somebody that they trust in their network and saying, "Hey, are you aware of a good VP of sales, or do you know a good salesperson, or a good you know?" Yep. If if for instance, like let's say that you're an early stage company. Maybe you're not like the 99th percentile. Chances are you're not the 95th percentile. Chances are you're somewhere in the middle. Do you yeah. really think that VC is going to take the best VP of sales they know and refer them to? You know, they're going to find somebody who's they probably feel is at a similar potential level. And I know that's a hard conversation people don't want to hear, but the reality is that thinking this way and having that self-awareness makes you more likely to be more successful in the future. And I, I think that that's just like, I, I don't know if anybody's asked you for like a, a you know, a, like to, for the, for you to introduce them to, to someone and in your head, you're thinking like, well, <laughs> you know, what's that going to make me look like if I introduce this person? And that is a, a part of the dynamic. So I, I think that that's just something else that people should be thoughtful of. Yeah. A hundred percent. No, absolutely. Um, but just quickly to finish off that last point about the, the opt-in. So we have them opt in, we send them this cool pack that we've created, and then we actually have the link to apply in that pack. So what we find is, I'd say a large majority of, of candidates from various different platforms um, will completely ignore what we've asked, and they'll just apply on the platform, you know, just send their resume on the platform, whether it be a jobs board or LinkedIn or wherever it might be, um, which instantly shows us that they have not read the ad. They literally could not have read the ad because we make it clear up front, like in the first paragraph, that if they like what they're reading, they should read all the way to the end because it's really important. And everybody that does like what they're reading reads all the way to the end. Yeah. So anybody that hasn't done that, 
we we do have a process where we make sure that they you know mistakenly did that or whatever but anybody that hasn't done that they're instantly eliminated we don't even look at those applications and we tell them that as well in the job ad so now we've got a pool of people who have actually done what we've asked they have read the whole thing they've done what we've asked they have gotten information that they have had to look through and they have actually now applied we also have some different things that we do in and around the application process, but essentially that is what answers your question at a very top level filter because they have to put some skin in the game. They have to put some effort into it. It's not just a matter of answering a question with, you know, do you like the idea of working here or what do you think about our vision? Oh, I think it's great. Like, yeah. So we've actually built that in quite intentionally. Nice. Yeah. And I think this too, it like it makes, if you do this correctly, not that you should ever <laughs> not be worried about like we should always be thoughtful of of mistakes down funnel too. However, I feel like if this is done correctly, like even if you make a couple of mistakes throughout the interview process, you're still more protected because you've gotten this alignment up front with folks that are genuinely exactly. passionate, right? Exactly. And then we also do, as I said before, we do the culture assessment. You know, we do a couple of other assessments, which are, you know, just reality checking and we're just giving ourselves a baseline for everybody to go through. Um, We do interviews. Um, We also do them a couple of different sort of ways, I guess. But one of the things we've started doing with the more senior roles is um, some kind of paid work assignment. Um, I can't remember if it was you or Nate or maybe it was Chuck actually the other day on LinkedIn that was saying something about should we pay candidates for assessments? Now, you know, again, that's a whole other topic, but yeah. we're talking particularly here about senior roles. So the last one that comes to mind is um, we were hiring for a general manager commercial for a client here. That's a $250,000 role. And um, it's a very critical role in this particular business. So one of the things that my client was looking for was this person to have a certain amount of capability around the commercials because they're a a 100% tender-based business and the tenders are for multiple million-dollar contracts. So you have to put in this, you have to have your pricing right, put it that way. And to work it out in this particular industry is extremely challenging to make sure that you have done it correctly so that you can be profitable. So he needed these guys to be able to show that they could do this even though they were all fantastic candidates, very, as you said, great track records, proven success, but not necessarily with this particular capability. So what we did was uh, we created an assignment for them. We knew it would take, you know, roughly sort of four to six hours. Um, and we asked all of them to complete it. We gave them a certain time frame, but we also paid them for it. And we did that with gift cards. So it's not taxable or whatever else, but we made sure they were compensated for the approximate amount of time that they would be if they had been successful in that role at that rate. And we just said to them, look, we know you're going to have to work on this in the evenings, um, probably over the next sort of week or so, and that's going to take you away from your family. We want to make sure that we're respecting that and that you can take your wife out for a lovely dinner or you can take your family out for a great day, you know, on us just to to make sure that you're not being put out. So you, you want to try and build in as far as you can, something like that. One of my other colleagues in the UK who works in a similar kind of uh, way that I do, they actually do assignments where they bring people in for a whole day or maybe two days paid to work in the company with the founder um, so that they can see how they work together. Um, Got it. And again, like I get a lot of pushback from people who are like, we have to make hiring decisions really fast. We've got to jump on this because people are going to. And I 100% disagree. And I will tell you why. 
you're right if you've if your hiring process is we have a job description as a job ad and we are playing a transactional game where we are just going after people who want a job at the highest bidder. Because if the candidate in question is saying to you, look, mate, if you don't make me an offer today, I've got another one tomorrow and I'm just going to take that, and you haven't been messing around for three months, okay, that's a different story. But, you know, if you're calling somebody about a job or they're talking to you about a job and they're like, look, you know, if you don't make me an offer today, that's totally fine because I'm going to go somewhere else tomorrow, I would say 99% of the time that is not your guy or your girl. Because especially when you're in a smaller business and you're trying to build something where everyone's bought in, that person needs to at least want to be a part of your business more than they want to be a part of any other random business who's going to pay them a bit more money. Because otherwise, once they're in with you, all it's going to take is for somebody else to call them up and say, hey, mate, we've got a better offer for you for 20, 50 grand more. Um, And they'll be like, sweet, bye. Now, obviously, people are going to want to get paid well and paid fairly. So that's That's part of what you need to make sure you're doing. But because of our whole process being constructed such that it makes people want this job, what tends to happen is that our guys are happy to go through a slightly longer process because they're like, whatever you need to do to make sure this is the right thing, right? And we appreciate that you are going to all this extra effort to make sure it's the right thing because we only want to be in a job that's the right thing for us. We want to make a multi-year commitment. So, so it works really well when you've got that dynamic at play. If you're going to just be chasing people and trying to get them into your business, just be aware that somebody else is going to do it to you if there's nothing else in it for them. And I agree with all of that. The one, the one part that I'm not in every situation, I think there's a lot more nuance to, is paying for a work assignment. Sure. Um, it's for, not yeah, yeah, I think like more transactional entry level roles. Like I think oh, that sure. I'm okay with yeah. that. But first 100%. off, like if you tell a VP or like a senior level person they're gonna get a gift card, like that's like that's almost like I'm not gonna say offensive, but like it's it's so, just yeah, but it was not a it was not like a fifty dollar amount. Like this was a you know, it was a, a reasonable amount of money. Yeah, but still like if an executive isn't gonna move forward with the process because they're gonna get a gift card, even if for if it's a thousand bucks. Like no, but they're not doing it for the gift card. You know what I mean? That was just right. us being respectful to them, saying this thing, because we the thing that we asked them to do was not an easy thing to do. And in one case, it took the guy eight hours to do it. Yeah. Um, and it they didn't need to do it. So what we didn't want to do was disrespect them by saying, hey, we want you to prove to us that you can do this thing because we don't believe that you can do this thing. It was, we want to see how you would approach this. And we know that this is going to take you away from other stuff. So yeah. you don't want to do that and just be like taking from you all the time. Hey, come for this interview. Hey, do this thing. So it was definitely not like a, um, you know, here's like enticing a thing. thing. Yeah, I see. Like you're no, saying, you're saying no, it's like no. a, like it's like a respect thing. Like, hey, no, 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 no. Yeah, definitely I mean, not. I still yeah. like. I still I'm feel like that's. That I'm sure somebody else might have thought that as well. Oh, no, right, I just for sure. I think it's like, like for more so individual contributor roles, I feel like on the VP, like when you move up though, it's like everybody should be equally incentivized and bought into getting to the end of the process in the most effective way possible to make sure that it's the right fit for everybody. Um, I'm just curious, like when you, when you implemented that, that paid gift card, right? Like for somewhat of a senior level position, do you feel like you got 
a higher level of engagement from people or was it like relatively comparable to times when you yeah so it was only for the final three people this has to be said so we didn't implement it as an incentive we didn't talk about it up front we didn't mention it it certainly wasn't an incentive and i would definitely caution anybody around giving anybody incentives to participate in anything because it just drives a complete wrong behavior this was more of a thank you and the reason that we did it for the last three people as i said was because of the nature of the thing we asked them to do right because it was a, it's a lot of effort and also because what they did then potentially could be valuable to my client in and of itself as a different sure. way of looking at this problem. So what we didn't want them to be doing was essentially, you know, um, working for the business, if yeah. that makes sense. No, it does know, make sense. And, and I think like taken that. Advantage of. that so it was, it, was, it was more like, you know, when you send somebody a box of chocolates or a bunch of flowers or something, it was more like that. We didn't want to give them a bottle of wine. So we wanted to give them like a dinner out with their spouse. But, you know, so it was, it was definitely framed up in a conversation with me that was not, you know, oh, here's the gift card, do this assignment. No. Right. Yeah. It's like, and I think that that context and nuance is like that, that's helpful. Like, and that makes like, I think more sense. Like I've heard of companies doing that for like engineering assignments. Uh, yeah. But I think it like, it, I do think that all of some companies that do that, it's more of like this incentive program. Like how do we get people to like, oh, that's wrong. engage so with us? So wrong. No, but that, that yeah. comes back to the beginning piece again, right? Like people will engage with you if it looks like that, that is something that they want to do. If, if mm-hmm. being a part of your organization, I mean, back to the, the first one that we did, you know, the first episode we did about the whole human operating system and, and the belonging and the connection and all of that. So if anyone wants to know what I'm banging on about, listen to that episode. Um, but if, if somebody wants to be a part of your organization, because they can see the version of themselves that they could be by being there, they are 100% going to do these things. I mean, what you're talking about now is the same thing that I get pushed back for when I tell people about the um, the opting in and the getting the pack and doing this. They're like, that's way too much friction that you're building in there. Like people aren't going to do that. I'm like, no, you're right. People who don't care about that job aren't going to do that. People who just want to chuck their resume in the ring for something, they're not going to do that. And that's exactly the people I don't want to. Well, they're, what they're doing is they're confusing the concepts because like it traditionally adding work top of funnel does kill your top of funnel in a, in a bad way. But what you're talking like, what the reason with the, when, when it's bad, when it doesn't work is like prior to a screening or right after a recruiter screening, they're throwing in some kind of test or yeah. assessment. And that's what you're doing is totally different. You're, providing them with a, why should I give a shit? Like you're, you're telling them why they should, you know, do I care about this? You're giving them the information and then allowing to opt in. So it's a, it's not, you're not really giving them and you're not giving them like an assignment that they have to really give. It's more of like, they're receiving value from you. It's it's, so it's, it's a totally different. So maybe the people that are pushing back on that, they don't understand the nuance to that. It's a totally different thing. Yeah. I agree completely. And this is this is the major perspective shift that I believe that the industry needs to make. Um, again, I will put corporates over there in a completely different box, you know, multinationals who, like, they are a machine. They are making widgets. They, for whatever, you know, there's just a whole different dynamic over there. Right. But where we're talking about, you know, making change, um, you know, innovating, creating new solutions to problems, um, this is where we really need to harness people's creativity, people's innovation, people's desire to contribute. And as we talked about on the last episode, we are hardwired to want to contribute. 
Like the myth that people don't want to work is just absolutely blows my mind. We do. We want to belong. We want to contribute. We want to add value. We want to be seen for our strengths. We want to be able to be self-expressed. You know, that seeking system that we talked about before, just for everybody who's listening who's probably never heard of it, it's the uh, one of the seven emotional centers. um, And that's where our intrinsic motivation comes from. And to activate it, you need actually just three things. You need a sense of purpose. You need a sense of self-expression and a sense of experimentation. And so we build all of that stuff, as you would have heard, into our process. And that's why we say to our clients, like, we are hiring people who are already engaged. Lots of other, you know, most traditional recruitment processes, actually, when you think about it, they switch the seeking system off. There's no sense of experimentation, no sense of self-expression, and no sense of purpose. So it's switched off. Now you bring people in, now you're like, now we've got to engage them. And then you start to try and do things to them to like, you know, sticks and carrots. You don't need to do that. That's not how human beings work. That's not how we're hardwired. So for me, I get really excited about all this stuff and um, love sharing all these things with particularly founders and their their teams because I believe most people want to do the right thing by other people. Most people want to succeed. They want to grow their businesses, but they just don't know this stuff. So they're going around it and doing it the way they've seen other people do it, the way that it was done, you know, when they were in other jobs. And so they're trying to tinker with other stuff. So they're like, well, maybe we need new tech. Maybe we need some like AI thing, or maybe we need this other thing to, to, or a new incentive or a new perk or something like that. Or maybe flexible working, that's the solution to everything. Now, yeah, it's, it's just not that simple. Just think about how people are hardwired and then we just adapt and we create processes that work with that. Well, what you were saying about like people wanting to work, I was reading an article in the Wall Street Journal and I'm blanking on the name of this professor, but it's like some really famous professor that I think most folks have heard of. And um, I think he teaches like behavioral psychology and, and things related to employment. Is and, it Adam Grant? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I think it was, I'm like 90% sure. And so he was, yeah. did you read this Wall Street Journal article that just came no, out? No, but I'm very familiar with that. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, so at this date of recording, it's February 21st, uh, 2023. If, if you guys look up, uh, a, uh, an article published a few days ago from the Wall Street Journal with Adam Grant, you should be able to find this. And Morella, our, uh, producer will try to drop the link in the comments if she can find it. Anyways, he talks about the concept of quiet, uh, quiet quitting and basically yeah. says, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but it's a bunch of BS. He said, you know, this back in the day was called phoning it in. Uh, yeah. And then before that, it was called mailing it in or whatever. He's yeah. like, you yeah. know, every generation has some kind of variation of this. And the reality is, and he goes into similar, uh, a similar philosophy and approach yeah. that, that you're discussing here, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. No, completely, completely concur with that. I've seen that published um and you know i think we we probably need to be mindful of time i'm sure everyone's getting a little bit bored of hearing us rabbit on now (laughs) (laughs) but um but that's that is the exact reason why i designed this process is because i have seen so many people so first of all i couldn't get a job years and years and years ago when i had nearly a decade worth of hr experience and i moved countries and i had a bit of contracting under my belt and all of a sudden i just hit the brick wall that was the traditional recruitment process and i knew Back then, I was like, something is wrong here when I can't get a job in HR, when I've got like nearly 10 years experience and I've managed teams and I've done all this stuff. But the recruiters that are talking to me are going, oh, well, you know, you've had a contract here and a contract here. So that's a bit, you know, you've jumped around a lot. I'm like, no, it was a contract. Oh, well, you worked in this country and now you worked in this country. So you can't. I'm like, 
no, but I went from this country to this country and then back here, like, I can. (laughs) It was just like all the the objections and you're just like, you don't get it. You don't understand. And at the time I sketched out, I actually wrote about this on LinkedIn yesterday. I sketched out um, the concept for a jobs board called Cherry Pick Jobs that was going to be based on values matching um, so candidates could find organisations that, you know, were a good match. And I had no idea what to do with it. So it went in a draw and I ended up going to get a job in a bloody shop somewhere, you know, and then obviously everything, you know, from there evolved where I went into marketing and then, you know, started working for myself. But over the years, I've met so many people who couldn't get jobs because they weren't the traditional candidate. They had plenty of experience, but like for some reason, they just weren't vanilla anymore. Um, But also I've got so many friends who, you know, they've got a job somewhere. They are massively underappreciated. They are just completely taken for granted. And they just stay there and keep phoning it in more and more and more and more over the years because no matter what they do, no matter what they try, they don't get the recognition, they don't get the appreciation, they don't get even the things that they ask for like pay rises or stable jobs or anything else. So their commitment levels just decline, but they're still in the job. They're still there. They're still doing the absolute bare minimum. You know, and then when I talk to business owners and they're so frustrated, you can't find anyone, you can't get people who want to work. I'm like, okay, I just have to be the bridge between all of these people and be like, you can, but you have to do it differently. And when you when you understand how people are hardwired and why you have to do it differently, you're going to be amazed. The world's going to open up. All these amazing people are going to come out of the woodwork and they're going to suddenly start stepping up. Your whole life is going to be different, you know. So that's why I created this whole process. And I know that people are probably thinking, where's a tangible thing that I can see that you can, like, I can maybe use myself? Um, and that's why I've, I've given you the link for the one-page plan. I call it the inspiring can- canvas because yeah. everything we've been talking about here today, I call that inspiring. I know it's a little bit cliche and it's a little bit naff, but it's the best word I've been able to come up with to hire in a way that inspires people versus recruiting, which I feel like is like, you know, again, it's fine for a lot of things. Um, But for these types of businesses, for these types of roles, you just need to make some subtle shifts to what you're doing and you'll be amazed at the results. Yeah, I love it. I think uh, I think this is probably a good stopping point. I know we've gone over today, yeah. uh, but yeah. I think it's uh, important. I figured you'd let me know if you had to jump. So I, I figured we'd go over a little bit, but I, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, a ton of value as always. And I'm looking forward to doing this again in the next three to six months. Let's just keep it going uh, because yeah. I think a lot of folks need to hear this and need to maybe even uh, some folks uh, philosophically agree or they understand what you're saying, but maybe they don't know how to uh, express it in such a way that's convincing to leadership teams. And uh, I think that that's another value at not only explaining it, but doing so in a persuasive way that folks can actually take and apply in their own workplace to get the buy-in they need. So yeah, thank you so much for joining us today and come back whenever you want. My pleasure. Thanks, James. Uh, and so, hey, with people that want to find you on online, what's what's the best way to engage with you and your company? Um, just find me on LinkedIn. That's pretty much where I live these days. Um, and it's not hard to miss me there because of my unique spelling. (laughs) Cool. And we're going to actually drop uh, your LinkedIn uh, profile into the description. There will be a hyperlink so everybody can access it there. Right. All right. Great. Well, thank you so much. And for everybody tuning in, thanks for joining us this week and make sure to catch us every week. We publish an episode Tuesday morning at 5 a.m. Eastern time. So we'll talk to you soon. Take care.
Thank you for tuning in to the Breakthrough Hiring Show. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode and gained a lot of valuable insights to help guide your talent strategy. I also want to say thank you to my team at Secure Vision for making the show possible. Secure Vision is the number one embedded recruitment provider, and we are a three-time category leader on G2. Secure Vision partners with over 150 companies to provide on-demand recruiters who specialize in either tech, revenue, or GNA. For more information, you can visit securevision.io. For more content, you can follow me on LinkedIn at James Mackey or on Twitter at James Mackey DMV. We've dropped links in the description. If you want to be on our show or have any topics you'd like for us to cover, reach out at breakthroughhiring.io. We really appreciate your support with reviews on Apple Podcasts. And lastly, make sure to tune in every Tuesday and Thursday for a new episode. See you next time.